Welcome to Yo House. Today on our pod, we have Coel Tomei, the founder of Nusa Yogurt. She digs deep into how sheer misery, the constant encouragement of her mom, and a vacation to a little Australian island called Nusa ignited her to found one of the most delicious brands in the world. Enjoy. Let's backtrack a little bit, Coel, because we first met in 2018. Um, and it was actually right around the time that I think you had fully stepped away from the brand. So for those of you on the call, in 2014, a big private equity firm took a large stake in Nusa Yogurt. And then in 2018, they were sold to another brand that actually owns Rayo's uh, Homemade Sauce, um, a lasagna brand. And it's a really premium kind of brand. And uh, Nusa joined that portfolio. Tell me what you've been up to over the last two years. I know it's been a really interesting time for you as you focus on your family. Um, you know, you're based in Boulder, Colorado, and a, you have a very adventurous spirit. Yes. So, um, yeah, it was at the end of 2018 that um, we became part of the Sobos family. And, you know, after about a decade plus of my life of being myopically focused on yogurt, it really felt like a good time to step out of the business and just see what was next. Um, you know, I think growing up in Australia, you know, most Aussies have this very sort of adventurous, wanderlust sort of um, sort of inner being. Um, and so for me, you know, I never envisioned that I would do just one thing in my life. And um, it was just a great opportunity to be more connected with my family. Um, and so 2018 was really sort of a reboot or 2019 was sort of a, a reboot for me. Um, I traveled all over the world. Um, I'm a huge mountain biker and uh, was fortunate enough to drag my bike to places like Mexico, to Europe, uh, to South America. Um, but also, you know, taking the opportunity while my daughter is young to get her out of her her bubble in Boulder, which is, it's a beautiful bubble, but um, it's a bubble no less. And, uh, you know, felt really fortunate, you know, while she's young to, to get her out and about. And uh, 20, 2020 was going to be the year that I really sort of did more sort of soul searching about, you know, what was next after giving myself, you know, a full year of just being. And, uh, and then as we all know, uh, the pandemic struck and, I became a homeschool teacher, <laughs> uh, which, you know, Paul, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, I know that that's not my next calling in life, um, for sure. So, uh, you know, at this point, really just navigating the day to day and trying to just be as, um, in the moment as possible, because it's, there's just a lot going on in the world. Um, just, yeah. So it can be pretty overwhelming to say the least. Yeah, and as much as, you know, you're saying that now you seem to be focusing on your family, you want to sort of reprioritize, I have to say, I started to admire you and respect you even when you were the head of sales at Noosa, right? You still had that role. And I remember we met in New York and you asked me after our interview, you were like, oh, what are some good kid-friendly activities to do around here? Are there good restaurants that you would recommend? And your daughter was, your daughter Matilda was five at the time, now she's seven. Um, and I remember thinking, you seem so grounded. Like your, your role as a mom still took priority over whatever title you had, whatever entre entrepreneurial 
title that you seem to boast. Um, and that was something that I always really admired about you. And um, I, I think that's a very special sauce because of course it's easy to sort of get swept up with the business. Um, I wanna dive into the way that you created Noosa because I think it's a very accessible and relatable story. Um, we won't go through all the nitty gritty details of your life, but I think one thing that really struck me is you were in university in Australia, you were majoring in accounting, you were a couple years in and you started skipping class and you hated going to class. You almost were kicked out, as I understand it, from university. Uh, I was on academic probation, so. Yes. <laughs> on my way to get kicked out. Yeah, so you were on academic probation and you had a really frank conversation with your mom. Uh, tell me about your relationship with your mother and the kind of encouragement that she gave you um, that ended up bringing you to the United States. Yeah, so um, ironically, my mom is uh, American. Uh, so, you know, it's sort of ironic. I feel like I'm kind of living her life in, in reverse. But, um, you know, my mom came to Australia, um, you know, in her early 20s and, you know, was, was definitely more of a free spirit, but someone that always really encouraged me to be happy, no matter what, you know, I think obviously wanted me to be successful, um, but not at the expense of, of my happiness. And, you know, she's always sort of dared me in like different ways through, you know, growing up to get outside of, you know, my comfort zone. Um, you know, I think about being in a movie theater with her when I was a younger kid and, uh, you know, the movie something happened, the movie was not playing. She's like, well, why don't you get up on the stage and perform for everyone? And I was like, okay, why not? <laughs> so like, I think I got up and did like some sort of like tap dance or whatever. Um, but she would just always dare me to do like zany, silly things. Um, sometimes she would, you know, bribe me with money. But, um, you know, it was interesting when I got to university. Um, I'd always been a really good student through high school. And all of a sudden I get to university and, you know, it's a big transition point in anybody's life. Um, and I found myself doing something that I absolutely hated. I mean, I was bored out of my brains. Um, and because of that, I started not going to school um, and which led to me, you know, to being on ac academic probation, which is a pretty stressful, you know, pivotal moment. Um, and instead of, you know, calling my mom and her being upset at me, I said, you know, I have to, I have to take a break. Like, I just, I can't continue doing this. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that I can't keep doing this. And I think I want to take a gap year, like a year off. Um, and she said, I will buy you a plane ticket to anywhere you want to go in the world. Um, and so, you know, I just always had that level of just, unwavering support from her um, and you know she was a single mom from the time I was nine years old um, and you know she's just always been that sort of north star for me no matter what and I think it's just given me that that sort of platform that if I fail you know I always have the closest person in my life is going to be there for me um, and I think that really was such a pivotal moment because I took off, I went to the US, 
I actually lived in Colorado, ironically, so I guess that was sort of destiny that I would come back here at some point. Um, but I worked in a ski town. I was actually a housekeeper for uh, a lodge up in Keystone Resort because I wasn't old enough to wait tables. And um, as many expats do, I feel like lots, <laughs> yeah. of Americans, lots of Aussies they come and work at the ski lodge. <laughs> and um, but, you know, I think I just realized that I wanted to, you know, finish that degree because without it, it would, you know, it would be just harder for me in life. Um, so I went back to Australia after a year off and I, I graduated. Um, but like most Aussies, wanted to travel again. And so came back to the U.S. and um, that sort of four-year walkabout landed me in Colorado. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have a couple. That's where the journey starts, right? Really. Yeah. Yeah. We have a couple Aussies uh, in this call too, and they're very excited. They detected your accent, of course. Uh, it's hard to miss. It's so beautiful. I'm glad you didn't lose it. Uh, after oh, I don't know. I, I, I do get a lot of grief from my Australian friends that I don't sound very Australian. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. down either way. You can't please everyone, you know. Um, but I think the the interesting transition, even after you moved to uh, Boulder, kind of permanently, um, you started working at Izzy, which was then acquired by Pepsi, and you found yourself in a similar rut. You were back in a cubicle, um, you know, before it was your accounting work, and now you were, I think, in marketing and sales, and you were saying. I don't want to work like this. This is not my dream. So you had a little bit of discontent brewing, right? At that time. Yeah, it was actually, Izzy wasn't my discontent. Izzy was sort of my gateway actually into the food mm -hmm. industry. Um, it was for an IT company that uh, the discontent really started <laughs> brewing. Um, you know, and it's sort of, there's a, sort of that common theme for me, I guess, where I hit these, these points in life where I'm just, so frustrated or I'm so bored um, and I just can't do it anymore. Like there's nothing in my soul or anything that makes me want to do it anymore. And that's when I really do do my best sort of soul searching and, and pivoting. And um, so, yeah, so I was in this cubicle, bored out of my brain. So it's like, I can't, if I'm going to stay in Colorado, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And it was sort of through that, that I really wanted to figure out what, what I wanted to do when I grew up and food had always been this common theme in my life from, you know, grocery shopping as a kid to cooking, obviously love eating food. And, um, here I was in this natural foods Mecca. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to work in the natural foods industry. I don't care what I do. I just want to get my foot in the door and, and get the experience and I'll figure it out from there. And so Izzy was actually that first sort of step into the industry. Um, and it's interesting because I had, while I was at, at the cubicle IT job, I had started applying for my, um, to do an MBA. And for some reason, something was holding me back from like, really like going down that path. Um, and I knew that as soon as I got into Izzy, which was also a startup, that there was this tremendous opportunity there to learn all facets of the business. And so, you know, I just asked the leadership team, it's like, can I sit in on different meetings? Um, I really want to learn all about the business. And they said, you know, as long as you are doing your day job, I'm like, sure, why not? 
Um, and it was really from there that I felt emboldened that I could actually start my own business, even though I didn't have a business idea right at that moment, but it was during that time um, that I discovered. Yeah. Lisa. Yeah. And, and so kind of connecting it there, you, Musa is a town in Australia and you were actually on vacation, right? You went back home. Um, your mom had moved to Noosa, as I understand it, and you were kind of walking along the beach and you stumble upon a bodega, right? And you have this insanely delicious yogurt that you cannot stop dreaming about. Um, and that is what the Noosa brand is as we know it today. So tell us about how it went from just a really decadent treat that you seem to love. Um, how did you end up deciding that that was going to be the startup that you built? Yeah, so I was actually in Australia introducing my now husband to my family. And uh, we had been surfing. And like you said, I had walking back to my mom's beach apartment and just stopped in at a local corner shop. And, you know, again, because I was always so curious about new products and food, I spotted this sort of clear container. It had no branding on it whatsoever, but it had a pop of passion fruit, which is a really bright yellow gold color and my favorite flavor. So I picked it up, discovered it was yogurt. And a few minutes later, was back at my mom's apartment having my first taste. And, you know, you think about just, food and things that can just stop you in your tracks and like the world just sort of dissolves around you right like because you're just so in the moment and it was it was like that and you know, started gushing to my husband I was like oh my gosh this is literally the best thing I've ever eaten and he's he's used to me getting pretty excited about food you're like you said that yesterday <laughs> He's like, it's good, but it's, it's just yogurt. And I'm like, you don't understand. So, of course, then, who do I go and talk to but my mom? Um, mom comes through, always. Oh, yeah. And so, um, you know, my mom was like, you should call the company. And I said, and what? Tell them that they make delicious yogurt? And she said, why not? I said, okay, I'm going to call them. Um, and this was back in 2005, uh, you know, so 2005 to 2010 is, there's a lot of years in between sort of, um, thinking about yogurt, but, uh, so I ended up calling this Queensland yogurt is what it's called in Australia and gave them like my little elevator pitch. It's like, I work, you know, I'm an expat and I live in this amazing food town. Um, have you guys ever thought about doing anything outside of Queensland? And they're like, no, we're a year and a half old. We're a family business. We're too busy. And I was like, okay, well, you make really good yogurt. <laughs> and you know, from there I went back to went back to Boulder and do my day job at Izzy and couldn't shake this taste moment. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to eat this more than once a year. Like, how am I gonna do that? Um, but in that sort of time frame from when I first tasted it to when I went back to Australia two years later, I started doing sort of my own yogurt thesis, so to speak, like just really tasting everything in the category, looking at packaging. Um, you know, it was interesting in that two year time frame, something called Greek yogurt started showing up on the shelves. Um, you know, and I tasted all the Greek yogurt that showed up in Colorado and I was like, yeah, it's good, but it's not Noosa, you know? And, um, so fast forward, 
2007, I go back to Australia and it was actually my boss this time at Izzy. And he said, will you please call this company back because you will not stop talking about it. You're driving us all crazy. So, um, so 2007, I guess, was really the start of, of Noosa. I uh, ended up meeting with this Australian family at a local surf club over a few beers. And again, I didn't have this formal pitch. Um, I just sort of said, look, you know, I know this has opportunity to be something in the US. There's just nothing like it. The yoga category is growing. Um, would you consider licensing the recipe to me? And from that three hour meeting came, a, you know, a loose handshake agreement that they would license the recipe. Um, they wanted to be invested in the business. Um, so that was sort of the first stranger moment, right? Like we're complete strangers. So they agreed to do this over one lunch. Um, again, I come back to Colorado. I don't quit my day job on the advice of my mother. Um, and, you know, I start really getting into the nitty gritty of like, what is it going to take to launch a yoga brand? And a lot is what I learned. Yeah. I mean, Koel, I want to just say, you know, James and Candy, the Aussies do have a question, but they rightfully point out, I think you are missing a key part of the story. It was over a couple beers. And that's <laughs> you yeah. got uh, some folks a little bit tipsy for there to be this sort of handshake agreement. Um, actually, James and Candy, if you want to, I think you may have a question. If you want to ask Koel directly, um, feel free to chime in. I know Candy's going to ask it, but firstly, I just want to say hi. It's so good. I was like, there's an Aussie accent there somewhere. I was telling Candy, there's something there, but it's American and it's guised and something, but I'm, I'm feeling something. Um, and so anyway, this is amazing. Thanks. Uh, we're here in Sydney. So. G'day, g'day. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Koel, for sharing your story. And um, yeah, I think I identify with you as well in terms of just your... Uh, you know, when you were mentioning about your season of being, and I think we really resonate with that season currently. So our question was more about just, you know, what was your experience and what did you feel you learned from that, that helped you, you know, lead, lead you to the idea of Noosa and where you're at now? Um, this, so what was my experience in the season of being or... Yes. In the season um, of being, I guess, just what, what you felt you got out of that, um, that may have helped you in your journey. Um, well, my season of being is, is really post-Nusa, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, I think back to um, just that first taste and then sort of that two-year time frame. I mean, that's a really long time to be really like obsessed about something that you can't even touch and eat and feel. Um, I just, you know, it's, it's funny. I actually found like I've always been an ideas person and um, I recently found an old notebook um, from, you know, years before I ever even like tasted what is now Noosa. Um, and I had an idea for a sweet chili sauce because it didn't exist in the U S um, so I think it was finally sort of really locking on to something that I couldn't shape that I just knew, um, I had to try and do something with it. And again, like I, I didn't start it with this vision that I could create a national brand. Um, I was like, 
what if I could just create this amazing local brand in Colorado? I get to eat it whenever I want. That sounds like a pretty win-win situation to me. I don't have to work for somebody else anymore. Um, so I think for me, it's always been distilling, like being an idea person, finally sort of finding that idea that I couldn't shake um, and having just enough uh, knowledge from my time at Izzy that I felt like I had um, the foundation to kind of just go for it. I was like, okay, well, all these white guys can do it. Like, why can't I go and do it? Um, you know, I think I've got a more interesting, delicious product. So um, I think it was just, you know, a combination of timing too, right? Like it's, it's, it's not just one thing. It's, it's the sum of many things. Um, yeah. that I think get you over that sort of tipping point. Koala, I love it because this community, there are so many catalytic folks and there are also lots of operational folks, right? So this is a beautiful sort of medley of different kinds of styles. What I love about you is you are not afraid. Um, you know, just to pick up on the journey of the story, which I think is so fascinating, you know, once you decided, okay, I got the approval from this Australian brand, I'm going to make this a thing. You do another cold call to a dairy farmer in Colorado because you realize, okay, how am I gonna manufacture this yogurt? And so you see a flyer, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, at like a rec center or something, and you're like, okay, let me just call up this random dairy farmer and let's create a collaboration. Tell me how, at that moment, what gave you the confidence that this would be the right move? Did you feel like, um, did you feel like you had a lot on the line, I guess, when you made that first call? You know, I didn't have a lot on the line. I hadn't invested any money at this point. It had just been all my time. Um, but really what, you know, at that moment, the tipping point for me was I had gone to the state health department uh, and then talked to the inspector there and realized that I knew nothing about the dairy industry. And he sent me packing with this, voluminous document called the pasteurized milk ordinance or the PMO. And, um, you know, and again, I was like having flashbacks to university. It was like, Oh my gosh, are there cliff notes for this thing? I mean, this thing is technical and long. Um, and I just, you know, I, I think I, I felt really, I actually, I think it's the only time that I actually cried in my Noosa journey. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to do this because I just, I don't have the expertise. I've got this, a great, I've got this amazing idea, but I don't think I can execute on it. And, um, and then I was like, hang on, you know, people in the industry, like see if anybody's got a dairy connection. Um, see if you can find a dairy partner. Uh, and that was actually harder than <laughs> I thought it would be um, because all my connections didn't really have foots in, in the dairy industry. And that's a very old world industry, right? Like it's a very generational type thing. Um, and, uh, and then, I, yeah, like you said, I was in a coffee shop and I saw a flyer for this family dairy in Northern Colorado. And I was like, huh, I'm going to do some research on them. So I found out that they were a fourth generation dairy farm. They grew all their own feed. They were selling at Whole Foods already, which gave me sort of a, a hint that there was some entrepreneurial bent to them that was different from a lot of dairy farmers. Um, and like you said, I cold call because I mean, the worst they could say is, no thanks, I'm not interested. And they said, yes, 
So drove up to Bellevue, Colorado and had a chat with farmer Rob over the fence looking out at all the cows. And um, I think he thought I was certifiably crazy. You know, again, <laughs> he's like, who is this Australian who lives in Boulder? Whatever, this amazing yogurt. And I didn't have any samples, right? Because tasting is believing. Um, so I was like, look, if you are let, willing to have a second meeting with me, I'm going to bring back samples. And then you'll understand what the heck I'm talking about. He's like, all right. Um, and somehow I, my mom got dairy samples over from Australia, which is a hard feat to do in and of itself. Um, but yeah, we had that second meeting and amazingly, Farmer Rob had the exact same taste moment that I did back in Australia. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I think we can make some space in the dairy and, and make some yogurt. He's like, great, let's do it. Um, again, so three, three strangers went into business together, which I don't, I don't always highly recommend going to business with strangers, but of course. somehow we made it work. And we love Farmer Rob. Farmer Rob made this happen. And, you know, even in this chat, it's pretty incredible because everyone is just championing your mom, right? She is the MVP of your story. Um, and I think the oh, thing yes. is so <laughs> beautiful and gorgeous. And it's stranger than fiction in some ways because I think so often a lot of us have so much self-doubt. And when we, even we're on, when we're on the brink of something or we feel like we have the momentum or perhaps there is that opportunity, there's so much of society in the world that tells you, you know, stick to, you know, stick to what you're doing, look the other way, but for your mom to be the catalyst, for your mom to be the one to push you and really hold your hand, uh, I think that's something so incredible. Um, actually, Sam Song has a question. Uh, I'd love to have them um, chime in if possible. Yeah. Just trying to figure out how to unmute. Hey, hi. Um, so your mom sounds pretty awesome and incredible. She's pretty awesome. And and you mentioned that you know you've been you're a homeschooler. Um, so just kind of going into kind of because for me as well, it just just all went into like you know less about what I'm doing, but more about how I'm parenting. And so, what are some like lessons or some things that your mom taught you that you're gonna definitely carry over to teaching your own kids? Um, because I'm sure like you know. I mean, you could, you know, buy them around, you know, ticket to anywhere in the world, which sounds pretty cool too. But what are some, you know, other examples that she, um, it seems like because of her, uh, it really gave you that push to do those things. And so, um, and the courage actually, right? She really yeah. emboldened you to do these things. So, you know, as, as a mom, you know, what are some things that you're definitely going to carry over just for the parents here that, you know, work is awesome and all, but like right now, you know, kids are our lives right now. And I just want to know, you know, what have you learned? Because, um, yeah, that's yeah. the question. Gosh, I mean, I've learned so much from my mom. Um, I think really it's, it's about um, listening. You know, my mom's a great listener. Um, you know, sometimes I forget to listen <laughs> to my own child. Because um, you can learn a lot when you listen to your kids, like if you're truly listening to them um, and what they need and, um, that their input is just as, as valuable as anyone else's in, in the family. Um, I think being creative, and that can mean a lot, you know, creativity can mean a lot of different things. But, um, you know, my daughter is still at that age where imaginative play is, 
is so huge for her. Um, and for whatever reason, I have lost that, like, part of me. Um, and when she wants to do imaginative play where, where, you know, she's an only child, so we become, like, part of her, her theatre direction and um I'll, I'll be like i'll give you 10 minutes <laughs> that's all i'm gonna give you because it's just not my thing like i'm i'll read with you i'll do puzzles i'll play games but i want to imagine to play um but my mom will get on facetime with her and they'll chat for hours and she'll do like imaginative play with her and i i overhear them talking and it is it's so cool and so inspiring um so i think the lesson for me is if your child has something that you can't truly share and interact with them um, on a sort of authentic way, like find somebody else in your family or someone else that can, you know, keep that spark alive because, um, you know, from imagination comes great things, right? Um, so I think those are two big things. Um, and... Uh, just being fearless. Like, you know, I think that's one thing, you know, when I think about not being afraid to cold call somebody, um, you know, I see that in my daughter as well, where she, she has no problem going up to an adult and asking them like pretty in-depth questions and going deep with them pretty quickly. And I mean, I see this like line, I see her more like my mom, but um, I definitely uh, inherited that too. Um, yeah, you're the conduit. I mean, I, because we follow each other on Instagram, you travel so often. And of course, prior to COVID, it was a lot of international trips. And I feel like she was the only kid in a lot of these adult groups. You know, she's the intrepid girl, seven-year-old girl who's in these communities, whether it's in Peru, whether it's in Mexico, all over the world. That's such a special privilege, I think, that you're able to share with her. Um, and I'm not a parent, right? So I can't even begin to empathize with all the parents on this call, but these are all sorts of nuggets of wisdom that I'm putting in my pocket because even after COVID, um, I don't wanna lose that sort of kind of bond that people are being forced to have with their kids during this time. Yeah. You know, one thing that I find particularly interesting, you know, sticking with the COVID-19 theme and working moms, uh, now the expression seems to be we're living at work. We're not actually working at home. Uh, and I think especially for women, I know you don't have the day-to-day -day jobs at Noosa anymore, but why are women expected to work like they don't have children and mother like they don't work? there seems to be this bind and you can speak to your own experience, you know, when you were at Noosa and had a lot of rigorous work um, and you had so much to juggle. Uh, but I'm curious if you have some insights here, especially now that you've stepped away and you've had some time to reflect. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think it's kind of twofold. I think women, expect too much of themselves in a lot of ways. Um, and in some ways they take it upon themselves um, to do everything. And um, sometimes just don't know how to ask for that help, whether it's from their partner, um, from, you know, their community. And, you know, I quickly learned, especially after Matilda was, was born, you know, Nusa was on this, record growth track um and it was insane like i i really that's one part of my life that i am sad about in the sense that i don't really remember matilda much as a baby because it was so hectic and i was you know traveling 
as soon as I could um, as, you know, head of sales and marketing. Um, and I just quickly had to learn that I had to ask for help. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't run this like fast growth company, be a mom, be a great partner without asking for help. Um, and again, I, I was pushed to the limit, you know, and I think when you're pushed there, you have to figure it out pretty quickly. Um, and so, you know, I was very fortunate that I had a husband that always has been supportive um, and just took it up a notch. Um, my mom <laughs> was also back in the United States as my nanny wow. uh, for the first three months with my stepfather. Um, that was pretty crazy because they bought an RV um, and the RV would be parked in my driveway often. Um, and you know, I had spent so much time away from my mom, like having this like longer distance relationship and then suddenly to have her like living in my driveway in my house every day as my nanny running this business. It was a little, it was a little intense to say the least, but again, like I had, I was like so grateful for that support because, you know, I wasn't in a place that I felt comfortable at six weeks old to put Matilda in daycare at that point. Um, and so, and then Lee really leaned on both my mentor network, um, my friends, and I just asked for help. And I realized that, you know, once you do that, you really see who are the people that, you know, belong in your community. Um, and, you know, if you ask for help from your partner and they don't give it, um, that's, a, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I've been hearing more, whether it's from Valerie Jarrett, you know, a former Obama advisor and kind of the first mentor to Michelle Obama. She said, um, we're not expecting women to be like men. No, we, women should not want to be like men. Uh, men should be able to champion women in their pursuits, in their journey, in their endeavors and their passions. Um, and the more of that sort of equity that exists in this world, the better society will be. Um, and I feel like you and your husband and your daughter really represent that. Um, and I know, you know, you always could have spent more time with Matilda. You always could have carved out more space. But at the same time, I think it's been wonderful to see your transition and your journey um, up until this point. Kind of touching on this record-breaking growth. You say you're fast growth company. Um, for anyone who's had Nusa, you'll understand why the flavor is really delicious. I'm lactose intolerant, but that's the one sort of indulgence, that and pizza, right? Like whole milk yogurt, I, I, should, not, <laughs> I should not be consuming for anyone's benefit. However, um, I will acknowledge that it is so, so divine. Uh, when you think about, you know, I think you logged $220 million in sales. That was back in 2017. Um, you were basically in every store imaginable, never mind, you know, obviously the Whole Foods and the Kroger's, but little bodegas in New York City, I would see Nusa yogurts. Tell me about that moment. When was that aha moment when you looked around and you said, I made it, Ma. Like, I, I am everywhere. This is the brand that I could have never dreamt that it would become this big. You know, it's funny. I, I don't think I had just one. I mean, I think I had many. Um, because you know you need those like multiple aha moments to keep the motivation going right because it's a marathon growing a business um i think one of the most like special moments for me was 
early on, you know, in that first year, we were really exclusively in Colorado in 2010, um, but we were doing the local farmer's market in Boulder and, you know, it's one of the top farmer's markets in the country. If you come to Colorado in the summer, um, you're probably going to end up there. And so people had started discovering it and, I, you know, we're starting to get, you know, emails from people outside of Colorado um, and somebody had obviously gone to Buy Right Market in San Francisco and told them, you need to stock Noosa. Um, and having been to that, you know, that market many times, like it just held a really special place in my heart. It's, you know, it's a, you know, it's a trend maker. Um, and so when they reached out, like, how can we stock Noosa? Um, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, I feel like I've made it. I don't know, you know, the business hadn't necessarily made it, but I felt like I had made it. Um, and it actually took a while for us to figure out how to get distribution for one store um, in San Francisco. But it was, you know, it was, it was a myriad of those moments. Um, and, you know, for me, it really was never financial. It was more about, um, you know, the, the tastemakers and the trendsetters who, um, really recognized how great of a product it was. And it was, it was the consumers, you know, I was the one that was managing all of our consumer email for the first three years. And it was the people that were gushing about news. And I'd be like, I know, right? Like I was at the beach. I had that same moment. Like I get it. Um, so it was really more those sort of moments and, and the people and the consumers that, that, really made me feel like I had made it. Yeah, well, I so often think, you know, the expression you gather on the water cooler, I feel like it should be the snack corner or like, because there is something so, just in the same way you were so obsessed with that flavor and that taste that you couldn't shake it. Um, I think it's interesting when we did our interview, we live streamed on Facebook Live. That was the most engagement we ever got. And I hosted that series every couple weeks, right? And for people to be so gung-ho, and I love yogurt, but like about a yogurt brand that just shows the amount of passion that people do have for what they consume. Like that, that is an avenue to really experience sheer joy and pleasure um, in a way that very few things I think are able to connect people in that way. I, I want to sort of touch upon something that may be sensitive, but... Did you ever have the ambition to take your company public? You know, what was the ultimate goal for you initially? Because you launched the brand officially in 2009, and then you ended up selling the majority stake in 2014 to the private equity firm. Um, I think you may have mentioned to me in the past, you had a hard time uh, coming to that conclusion or figuring out that that was the best avenue uh, for your business. Yeah, so, you know, again... It was sort of the Australians had invested. I was working, you know, day to day with with Farmer Rob. Um, I think I realized from the outset that you know, three strangers, um, we were all very different people. Um, so I think I realized early on that you know we weren't going to have this family business into eternity. Um, but I also didn't think that we would have to take outside investment um, up until, you know, we did. And really, you know, none of us had sat down and created a strategic business plan. 
Um, and so when it really went off and sort of this rocket growth, um, I think I had more of the foresight that we were on a road to doom um, in the sense that the three of us did not have the expertise to run a business that was quickly going to be over $100 million in revenue. Um, you know, it's one thing to have a family business. It's one thing to even have like a $10, $20 million business. Like you can run that and it, it can be sustainable. But when something is just exponentially growing in revenue and you're hiring all these people, um, it becomes a very different business very quickly. And, um, you know, we had started having operational challenges in the sense that we just couldn't make enough yogurt because we weren't sophisticated enough on our, you know, demand supply planning. Um, and I was like, we need to bring some people in. Um, and there were some challenges in really getting my partners on board with that. Cause again, like we all just came from different universes from a, from a business perspective. Um, and I just said, look, we've put in all of our own money. We've put in so much time into this. I think it would be a crying shame to see this implode. Um, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but we need to protect our investment. And the only way to do that is to bring in a real team of people that can drive this to the next level. Um, and finally, through a lot of talking, uh, got them there. And I think it was the operational challenges that made them sort of realize, um, you know, and I was on the front line dealing with our retailers and that's stressful. Retailers have a very short window of, um, <laughs> or a short leash of where they will let you have empty shelves, right? Cause that equals lost sales. Um, and so finally got them to agree that we would look at bringing on maybe a minority investor. Um, and then that quickly shifted where the Australian contingent was wanting to get their investment out of the business. So that led to a sort of a majority stake. Um, and with that came, you know, a leadership team and, and a different perspective on where the business would go. Um, you know, and it's funny, I've been asked like, was it hard in 2018, like exiting the business? And I was like, no, I said, because I really mourned that sort of notion back in 2014. I knew that when we took a majority investment, I knew what that meant. Um, yeah. So that was sort of more for the morning period for me of like, okay, this business is going in a different trajectory and it's not going to be something that I will be involved with for the rest of my life. I mean, you're giving me the chills because it's your baby, right? I just think about you sitting in the coffee shop, seeing the flyer and calling Farmer Rob. And that was the genesis. And then to think, you had the humility and you had the practical wisdom and knowledge to say, we need help. Um, kind of what you were even saying with your daughter, right? right? When do you recognize that you need help and you need someone else to help unlock the next level? Um, and you knew that Nisa was capable of that. So I can only imagine all the feels that you were experiencing, um, you know, and I'm sure, like you say, you call it a morning. And it's the loss of something that was so precious to you in many ways. I'm curious right now, when you go to the store and you see Nusa on the shelf, does it give you joy 
Does it give you sadness? What's the feeling? Do you still have Nusa yogurt in the fridge? I do. Um, I, I, I do. I do. Um, you, you can tell the truth. Matilda, Matilda would not let me not have. It's funny. Aww. I try because we, you know, with Nusa we made the little mini tubs, but we never made um, like the pouches, the more portable version of eating yogurt. And so. Um, She's actually back at in-person school right now, and so back to packing lunches. So I put a alternate brand of yogurt in her thing today, and it came back. And I was like, "What did you think?" She's like, "No." <laughs> She's like, oh, "Where's my vanilla Nusa, Mum?" You know, it's funny. Uh, I got an, I got a text from an Aussie friend in New York, and he was having dinner with some friends, and they're like, "Where did the passion fruit yogurt go?" And I was like. I know I should have written that into the deal that they couldn't discontinue my flavor. Um, so, yes, I do still eat Noosa. Not as frequently as I, as I once did. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I feel more joy now. Like, in the first year, I almost sort of avoided the yogurt aisle. Um, I had a lot of opportunities to join food boards. It was like, I just wanted a complete break from the food industry. Um, and I'm, I'm now sort of at a point where I, I feel like I can re-engage with the brand um, and feel joy. Uh, they actually, the company just sent me a, um, a flavor that they brought back. It wasn't passion fruit. I'm going to tell them they need to bring passion fruit back. Um, but they sent me a really lovely box um, of our, one of our sweet heat flavors. And that actually brought me a lot of joy. So um, I think I just needed, needed some breathing room from it. Um, you know, and I think that's maybe why I traveled so much because it allowed me the, the real physical space to sort of disconnect um, from it for a little bit. Yeah, the healthy distance. Actually, that was one of the questions earlier, whether the passion fruit flavor was still around or was discontinued. That actually is my favorite flavor, too. So <laughs> I'm, I'm wanting the lot of that. Okay, we're going to start a petition. <laughs> I don't know if my name means anything, but I'll sign whatever document that you end up preparing. Um, but, but also, are you available in Australia? Were you ever, did you ever start distribution there? Or, um, no, because the original Queensland yogurt still exists. Um, in Australia. So if you go, when you finally get to Australia, you can have passion fruit yogurt there. <laughs> yes, the OG. Um, actually, Jason Lee has a question for you. Um, Jason, why don't you ask yourself? Hi, first off, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm a, I'm a founder and entrepreneur myself, so I just see um, and resonate so much with just the struggle, but also like the excitement of finding something. Um, I kind of have like a belief that, you know, creators are meant to create and that's just part of our DNA and part of our lifeblood. I'm just curious for you whether you still have that itch or that feeling of, man, I want to start something new or different. Um, and whether you've got something actively on your mind or not, I'm uh, just curious about your thoughts there. You know, it's interesting. I get asked that question a lot. I think especially being in Boulder, which is obviously a big food hub, people are like, you are definitely going to do something in food again. And I was like, mm, I don't know about that um you know there has been nothing in food that has really sort of struck an interest enough that I would want to 
come out of, you know, semi-retirement, I guess. Um, but it's sort of, you know, people are like, really? You're going to just go into retirement in your 40s? Like, I was like, why not? Like, nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's sort of funny, I think back to, you know, big sort of pivotal moments in my life from sort of university to sitting in that cube. Um, I think I'm going to have to hit that sort of, I don't know, I don't call it boredom factor or um, something just hits me where I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. And I don't know that it's necessarily going to be in food. Like I have so many other interests. Um, you know, the environment is a big passion point for me. Um, so it could be in, in the environment. Um, I'm a huge fan of radio. I've always secretly wanted to be a radio DJ. Um, so I don't know, like, again, like I feel like I still have a lot of life to live and, um, you know, this, I don't feel like this urgent need to dive back into anything, but I do think I'll do something again, but I don't know that it'll be in food. Oh, you will. You definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real now. You say all this and then I'll, I'll check in on you in like a month and you'll already have a business plan. Um, <laughs> You know, it's interesting because you say that you have so many passions and I think you are already involved in a mentorship program with student athletes at CU Boulder. You joined the board of a local nonprofit. It focuses on, to your point, environmental stewardship. So what I love about your story is it's an evolving journey, right? Like you don't need to be a serial entrepreneur in the classic sense where right as you sell your previous startup, you already are working on the second one and you already have, you know, recruited all this talent for a new business. Um, you show the ebbs and flows in such a graceful way. Uh, and that's why I feel like it's so authentically you in many ways. And I really appreciate that kind of mindset. Um, Cause I think so much of, you know, I'm in LA, but the kinds of stories I hear from Silicon Valley, um, every CEO, for example, today, Snowflake is a company that went public. It's the biggest software company that had an IPO. Um, the CEO has taken three companies public, right? And that's sort of his DNA of, okay, what's next? What's next? Let's get Warren Buffett on board. Um, I'm curious to think, you know, you both kind of straddle the food world, but also just entrepreneurship in general. Who are the kinds of people that you feel like you connect with? Like, who are your people? Do you feel like you found that with other food CEOs, with other tech CEOs, or you feel like you were sort of a misfit? And, and I just say the word misfit because Yo House is based on this premise of we're all sort of misfits and we're trying to find our way um, and we're connecting with each other to, to get deeper understanding of that. Yeah, I don't think I was a misfit in the food space by any means. I felt like a misfit in you know, when I would go to conventional grocery store meetings and, um, you know, I'm not a big American sports follower. So I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to like, what's going on in this person's state and their sport? Like just, you know, because that's what all the white guys like to talk about. Um, no, no diss on any of the older white guys in the crowd. Um, but that's where I felt like I was more of a misfit is, you know, when I was interacting with people um, that were just very old school, I guess, um, old school, old world, and conventional grocery is very much that. Um, but I felt, you know, when I would go out to 
uh, Expo West, which is the big natural products trade show, um, I felt very much in my element just because it's full of just really different people from all backgrounds, very vibrant, um, just lots of good energy. So um, in some ways I like, I miss that. And I was planning on going to uh, Expo West until it got canceled. Um, you know, and that's something that I'll continue to do just because it's, you know, these people were sort of like my family um, for many, many years. Um, but I, you know, I said going back to like my mom and pushing me out of my boundaries, you know, I grew up with hippie parents. So I had lots of biologists in my life, lots of environmentalists in my life when I was growing up, um, all kinds of different people. And so um, I'm, I'm a pretty open human being. I love chatting to people from all different sort of walks of life. And I wish this country would do more of that. Um, Cause I think you have a lot to learn. And you know, it's funny when I was traveling a lot for work, um, it really did make me understand that, you know, this country is made up of, of many different, um, many different people. And the only way that you experience that is getting out of your, your bubble. And there's many great people. And as long as you're willing to have an open conversation, I mean, I can't tell you the amount of strangers I've shared food with through my business travels, just because I would, you know, any town that I was in, um, and I was in a lot of different towns, you know, I'd find, you know, the most interesting restaurant and I'd go to the bar and I'd sit there and I'd probably order five or six dishes knowing that I couldn't eat them all. Um, and invariably there would be someone sitting next to me and I would end up chatting with them. And it's like, can I share my food with you? Cause I'm not going to eat it all. Um, and I have done that many, many times. It's, my husband finds it very embarrassing, but um, so I think to your point, I think just being really open to um, a lot of people. I mean, I certainly have my core people, um, but you know, I'm just interested in the world and I love stories from from many different places and many different people oh you're so aspirational inspirational i mean that idea of ordering too many dishes and forcing people to eat with you. <laughs> for me i would yeah that that's just such a brilliant practical idea to get out of your zone and to get out of your own head and your own um you know comfort zone in many ways Honestly, Koal, this was fantastic. I want to pass the mic over to Dave Gibbons, the founder of Yo House. Um, and you really encapsulated a lot of Yo House's core values of being able to break bread, even virtually, uh, with different people from all over the world. Um, and I hope that you stay part of this community. It was really wonderful talking to you. Likewise. And uh, hopefully we get to share some passion for yoga in the future. Yes. <laughs> hey, Koel, this is Dave here, and I'm super grateful for you sharing tonight. You know, um, part of what I do is I work with leaders like you uh, in different parts of the world. And so I was just able to observe you tonight. I just want to encourage you, okay, because we have never met. But what I was sensing from you, I could be wrong, is I see you as really a deep person. And uh, you, you actually ask some really hard questions. It's like, so yogurt's a thing that people know you, but you're, you're actually way, way broader and deeper than that. And what I felt about you, and again, I could be wrong, is I think the word that came to my mind was originality. 
that that's a really important piece of who you are in terms of your identity, that you're not, you're not meant to copy or mimic. And what you're about is uniqueness. And I, I think that's what you're after, is this quest to find these really u- unique anomalies that are, are beautiful, brilliant, and that connect to people's soul. And so what I saw from this originality piece of who you are is that part of your essence is exploration. And I felt at this time, a couple of things hit you. And I, I, I found this with key leaders, and this is for all of us, is the normal part of the journey that we undertake uh, has an unfortunate process that we have to go through or phase. And it's what I call the death of a dream. And uh, no great leader usually uh, uh, is able to bypass that. We, we like to, but I felt this with you. And I want to encourage you because this is really the piece that I know it's, it's, it's really difficult to process because I was listening to some of the, of, of your tone. Not, there, there was nothing negative. Um, but I could feel the, uh, the soul piece that was hurt. And so I want to encourage you because that piece is your connection to humanity. That, that's the piece that's beautiful about you. And you don't, have to, you don't have to fear that. It's really powerful for me because as a woman in the business world, you sometimes have to feel like you have to hide these emotions. I have to kind of, but to me, we need people like you that are in touch with your emotion and with the pain of what, that, what, what went through, what happened there. There's some, probably some things that um, I, I know we all could have done differently, but I, I feel like I don't want you to feel anchored by that at all. That actually gives you your authority today as a leader. And I, I know right now there's some feelings of anchoring that's going on in your life, whether it's family or whether it's whatever it is. Um, but I want you to feel freedom. I want to encourage you with a lot of freedom. And I want you to own that freedom you had as a child, the, chi- the child of wonderment, the, the magical world that you were called to live in. I feel like that's, that's part of your essence is to have that twinkle in your eye. So, you know, my, my, my hope for you is that that would be restored. Like right now, you feel a restoration of it and that you'd feel any toxic stuff that was said to you or about you, that that's really literally washed off of your body and your soul. Because I want you to be totally liberated and free for these new creative ideas that you're destined to unfold. And I, I, I agree with you. It's not just about yogurt. It's bigger than that. Uh, yogurt is a product. It's something that you could express yourself through. It's like a piece of clothing. Um, so it's a great piece of clothing. It works and you, you like wearing it once in a while, but it doesn't define you. And so I, I never want yogurt to define you. But what it did show is that you're creative, you're an explorer, you're filled with wonder. And when something's magical to you, you'll go after it. So Coel, thank you for showing us through your story of how you work through the death of a dream. You're working through some of the pain still, maybe, but you really showed us the resilience and how you're still believing. And so I don't want you to lose that. I, I took away, I'm going to still believe with you that the next part of your journey is going to be even filled with greater wonderment, greater beauty, and greater connection to the earth and to the universe. Because I feel like you're that explorer that can see transcendent things. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Yo House Weekly Pod. Next up, we have beauty guru Jared Blandino of Too Faced. He talks about how makeup is the ultimate form of self-expression and how he found immense joy 
by overcoming judgment and shame. See you next week.